This program is brought to you by the Idaho Humanities Council and supported with funding from the National Endowment for the Humanities. Hello, welcome. I'm Rebecca Schofield. I'm an American historian with an emphasis in gender and sexuality in the American West. And I am from Idaho. Um, I grew up here and I love this place. And I want to talk to you all today about how we can teach the history of our state in a way that acknowledges the hardships that Euro-American settlers faced, while also um, discussing how they did not face as many barriers as other groups did um, as they tried to live in the region. So particularly for teachers, um, are people who have close friends in the state, it's important to remember that a lot of people are settler descendant. They have families who helped settle the state as, as did many of us. Um, but that means uh, we need to find ways to help our students and ourselves and our peers um, deal with the messy history of our region um, while making room for everyone's stories. Um, and in a way that we can um, deal with history and be proud to be um, from this area. So I'm gonna go ahead and share a PowerPoint with you today. How do we tell the story of our state in, in honest ways, in ways that um, we can all acknowledge um, incorporates as many voices as possible. So this is a picture of my beloved home in Emmett, Idaho, um, including my uh, parents' home up on the hill and our family ranch down by the river. Um, I love this place in the world more than I can say, and therefore it's incredibly important for me uh, to not only find ways to tell these stories myself, but to help future generations um, tell the story of the state in a way um, that connects their own families to uh, the myriad stories of other people in the state and demonstrate how we're all connected um, uh, as we discuss regional history. So my family first moved to Long Valley. And as this um, 1961 history of the of the um, area says, quote, the history of Idaho's Long Valley began in the 1870s. Now for a historian, this is an absurd statement. Obviously the history of Long Valley is much, much older than the 1870s, but it does reveal um, a fact about how we tend to tell the history of the state. And that is that before contact, you know, maybe before Lewis and Clark, certainly, you know, before settlement, there is no history um, of the area. It simply um, existed out of time and space and very, very um, few histories of the region um, really uh, contest that fact. So I think it is always important to 
um, resist this easy form of telling history, right? When I was growing up in Emmett, I had no idea whose ancestral lands I was on. Surely the history of the land didn't start before my family arrived. Um, and it wasn't until I was much older that I realized how, um, wrong that was, that it would have been um, incredibly important for me to understand whose um, ancestral lands I was on. So I encourage us all to dig deeper than this statement. So who did inhabit um, Long Valley and how did we end up with statements like this, that history started in 1870? Well, several groups used the valley. Um, the first um, was, uh, of course, the Nimipu, um, whose ancestral land uh, those of us in Moscow uh, sit on today. Uh, the Nimipu's traditional homeland stretched over 19 million acres. And when Great Britain started um, to try to settle a dispute with the United States over essentially Oregon territory, um, white Euro-American settlers started pouring into the area. In 1855, the territorial governor convinced some leaders of the Nimipu um, to give up 7.5 million acres, though they were supposed to retain the right to fish and hunt in their accustomed areas. This was called the um, Treaty of 1855. Now, unfortunately, just a few years later in 1860, gold was discovered in the area within the boundaries of the reservation. And this sparked massive um, influx of settlers who refused to abide by treaty rules. And in 1863, um, a few leaders um, signed a uh, treaty that many bands of um, the Nez Perce or Nimipu disagreed with and did not want to abide by. This was the uh, Treaty of 1863. Now, uh, the following war, uh, year, sort of, you know, we have the creation of the Civil War, not the creation, the start of the Civil War and the creation of the Homestead Act, which is this massive social welfare program um, in which land is being given away to Euro-American settlers, um, which puts increasing pressure uh, on the Nimipu and will eventually result in the um, quote unquote Nez Perce War of 1877, um, in which of course, very famously 800 men, women and children trekked 126 days over a thousand miles, um, trying to make it to the Canadian border only to be defeated um, within 30 miles of that border. So um, the Nimipu used the area um, so too, it, it sort of uh, occupied the very, very southern uh, part of the Nimipu's territory. It also occupied the very, very western part um, of the of, uh, a group that would become known um, by their colonizers as the Lemhi Shoshone. Um, including some of these subcategories. Again, these are names uh, given by Euro-Americans, not um, by necessarily um, the people themselves. So uh, most importantly, uh, the Tukadika or sheep eaters use the kind of high central mountains um, as a place to um, live alongside and also uh, trap uh, 
the um, high uh, mountain sheep of the area and um, to um, move in nomadic patterns throughout um, Montana, Wyoming, and parts of Idaho. So these groups, because they were so high in the mountains, were often somewhat uh, shielded from uh, early waves of Anglo encroachment. Um, it really wasn't until the first waves of the um, settlers uh, of the uh, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints moved into the area that um, there was kind of sort of systematic colonization efforts that would um, bring people uh, to reservations that were not um, equipped to sustain the level um, of people. People were literally starving on these reservations, um, uh, particularly Fort Hall um, and, and other places like that. Um, this first sparked the Bannock War, um, but as the Nez Perce War had sort of increased uh, military attention to keeping people on reservations. Um, there was a very um, violent response to the Bannock War um, and eventually uh, led to the Sheep Eater War of 1879, um, in which um, as mining had expanded into the mountain um, in 1878, uh, there were some murders of both Chinese and Anglo miners, uh, and these were blamed on Native people without evidence. So in 1879, uh, military forces from Boise, Grangeville, and the Umatilla Reservation were deployed, um, which resulted in the um, surrender of the last bands of the Tugadiga, or the um, who were part of this larger Lemhi Shoshone. So this the stories of violent removal right um is really part of a larger story about the american west usually um, we like to tell the story of westward expansion as one of of sort of independent spirit and uh, a great uh deal of um up by your bootstraps mentality and while it is true that it was extremely hard uh to settle these areas it is also the fact that without um the federal government uh through the homestead act through um military removal um, and seizure and redistribution of land um, and then also, of course, extractive industries like mining and lumber um, and the industries that were able to carry these raw uh, resources like the railroads to urban centers, then this region would not have been uh, of interest to many Anglo settlers. So when we talk about the settlement of the West, we need to keep in mind that it's really um, large government and corporate actions that make uh, this settlement possible. And indeed, um, as um, Long Valley became an area for Finnish settlers, they could not have accessed that land without um, both the Homestead Act and the U.S. military's intervention in um, removing indigenous people. So my great-great-grandfather, um, John Gustav um, Lofty, or Puha Lofty, as it was originally in Finland, uh, was able to claim land uh, because of the Homestead Act. 
So John Goost was born in 1863 um, in what was still the Grand Duchy of Finland that was held by Russia. Faced with famine and forced conscription um, by Russian forces, uh, emigration from Finland and other Scandinavian countries was incredibly common in the late 19th century. Uh, my great-great-great-grandfather emigrated in 1888, and in 1895, he and two other men from Finland uh, crossed the mountains into Long Valley and staked claims, uh, briefly returning to Pendleton to collect their families um, and come create their homesteads. Um, now, obviously, farming... Uh, in Long Valley, which is uh, very, can be very cold and have long winters, was extremely difficult and, and making these homesteads operational were very difficult. Um, however, Finnish settlers were very used to long winters um, and they had a strong sense of um, community that helped them survive. They were also willing to leave the area if other economic opportunities presented themselves. So, for instance, in World War I, uh, the family moved to Vancouver, Oregon to work in the shipyards um, and generate some money. And it was there that my great-grandmother, Alina, met Otto Gestrin, who was himself a Finnish immigrant. They uh, were married in 1917 and returned to Long Valley uh, to um, reclaim the original homestead uh, and um, start farming again. So of the 12 children my great-great-grandmother bore, only eight survived to adulthood and only one, Alina, my great-grandmother, continued to live in Long Valley. They had um, a large family as well. Um, my grandmother, Ida, was born in 1921. Uh, and as you can tell, this was um, an interesting way to grow up, right? Skiing to school, um, picnics in your Sunday best um, in the middle of the mountains. Um, and again, it snowed a lot. It was very cold. There was a lot of, of difficulties, but um, one way this group coped with it was through creating a strong ethnic community. Uh, so for instance, the Long Valley Finnish Ladies AIDS organization helped uh, raise money for events and buildings and people in need. Um, obviously coming from Northern um, Europe, socialism was um, present, though communism was often um, rejected because of its association with atheism, as this was a very um, strong Lutheran um, uh, community. So my grandmother often talked about how embarrassed she was um, to um, be um, called out for her immigrant roots, right? Finnish was still spoken at home. Um, her, her own mother was second generation Finnish. Her father was first generation Finnish. Um, and she bore the, the white blonde hair that uh, many uh, Finns did. And she talked about once uh, combing shoe black into her hair um, to try to cover up the fact that she had this really uh, distinctive ethnic identity. So it, it was in many ways a, a difficult life um, growing up in this isolated community. And yet at the same time, her parents, despite being immigrants, were able um, to claim land. She was able to gain an education and she was able 
um, to um, marry the person she wanted to marry. This was not true for all populations in Idaho. These are just a couple of examples of Jim Crow laws. Jim Crow, of course, re uh, refers to the systematic uh, enforcement of segregation laws in um, the United States between the 1890s and the 1960s. Um, now, obviously, a lot of these laws predate um, formal Jim Crow. So, for instance, in 1863, we have the creation of the first anti-miscegenation law. Um, in which uh, the territorial legislative, uh, legislature prohibited, quote, the cohabitation of a white person with anyone of native African or Chinese descent. Japanese descent was later added. This was not repealed until 1959 uh, and was punishable with up to two years in prison. This does not even um, uh, denote the... Um, marriage between a white person um, and a person of color. It is simply cohabitation with. Um, also, of course, within our state uh, constitution in 1890, many groups of people were denied voting rights, the right to serve on a jury, um, or the right to hold public office. This included uh, members of a religion that upheld polygamy. This was targeting members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Chinese or Japanese people were prohibited. Um, Native people who had not, quote, adopted the habits of civilization and essentially um, renounced their tribal membership and women. Uh, in 1923, uh, so right around the time my grandmother was born, it became illegal for people of Japanese to descent to buy or lease land in the state. And then, of course, uh, throughout our history, we see the ways in which um, anti-Chinese violence, the creation of sundown towns throughout the state, uh, and barring service to Mexican-Americans operated um, completely legally within the state. So while my grandmother faced... Um, some bigotry and some moments of embarrassment or hardship, she did not face um, systematic uh, discrimination within the law. Now, one way we can see this uh, most blatantly operating in the state is through um, restrictive covenants. So for instance, this restrictive covenant comes out of uh, the Warm Springs subdivision in, in Boise. It was found by College of Idaho students. Um, and it states, no race or nationality other than members of the white race shall use or occupy any building on any lots except that this covenant shall not prevent occupancy by domestic servants of a different race or nationality domiciled with an owner or tenant. This is essentially saying that no person of color can um, even rent or lease or be on um, uh, lots or buildings within the Warm Springs subdivision unless they are domestic servants. Now, these restrictive covenants are upheld through the 1960s. Uh, and it's important to remember that this uh, then restricts people's ability to create intergenerational wealth. And this is incredibly important, right? As my grandmother um, is raised in Long Valley, my grandfather comes to Idaho, to Long Valley, um, seeking land and opportunity in the face of the Great Depression. 
Um, so my grandfather, Edwin, came to the state um, in the late 1930s to um, work at the Boise Cascade uh, Sawmill after his family lost their family farm in Nebraska to the Dust Bowl. He had eight siblings. Um, they worked together to buy a dairy. And um, this was incredibly important because during World War II, uh, when he was drafted, uh, the draft service asked him to not join the military and instead to run the dairy in order um, to serve the Stibnite mine uh, and keep the mine running for the war effort. So they were able to get married um, in 1943 and purchase land. At the same time that they were getting married and having children and starting their life, um, 120,000 Japanese Americans, um, two-thirds of whom were American citizens, were forced by um, executive order uh, 9066 to leave their homes uh, and uh, be forcibly incarcerated for many years. Uh, in 1983, it was estimated that um, 88,000 Japanese adults lost somewhere um, between um, or around $6.2 billion. They lost everything um, to um, this move, right? They had to leave behind pets and cars and businesses and farm equipment and uh, beloved personal belongings and clothing. Um, and 13,000 of these Japanese Americans were uh, held here in Idaho. Uh, along with 250 other uh, Japanese, mainly Issei um, or first-generation Japanese Americans um, at Kuski internment camp. Uh, similarly, uh, the Bracero program, which was bringing in um, Mexican workers uh, to help uh, stabilize uh, the uh, U.S. agricultural industry during massive labor shortages during the war, um, these people who came to Idaho not only faced horrific working conditions, often being maimed by uh, farm equipment, but they also faced discrimination just trying to go into places like Caldwell and um, shop. They were told um, uh, they were denied service, there were signs posted against them, and the discrimination and violence was so rampant that in 1948, Mexico, the Mexican government blacklisted Idaho from receiving any more Bracero workers. Um, so just as my family was able to start making real strides forward um, into the next generation, um, uh, people who were faced with um, sort of racialized hatred were not able to experience the same opportunities in the state. After the war, my grandfather sold um, the mining rights to their property outside uh, Cascade so that the Stibnite uh, company could come in and dredge mine the land looking for um, monazite, uh, ilemonite, zikron, and garnet. So monazite contains thorium and sometimes uranium. So uh, obviously these were important uh, minerals to um, the government and into the Cold War um, as we try to um, maintain technological superiority in the world. Afterwards, however, local um, 
other local landowners assumed my grandfather was in collusion with the mining company and refused to sell land to him. So that is when they moved to Emmett. Um, they were able to purchase um, a ranch and build a home. They were able uh, to live this sort of idealized um, 1950s um, life and to have my mother um, and her siblings uh, raised in Emmett, which is where I was born and raised as well. And like Long Valley, Emmett was also taken through violence. In 1979, uh, my spouse's great-grandmother, Ruth Lyon, uh, wrote a book that recounts um, many stories of massacres of Native people. Uh, these stories are incredibly difficult to read because while um, the uh, Anglo-American storytellers often express regret over these acts of violence, they also um, tend to believe that their fear of Native people, whether that fear was grounded or not, um, in reality, that their fear justified the killing of Native people and other um, humans, essentially. And one very difficult story, a person recounts a massacre that resulted in settlers, uh, perhaps on the land where my family's ranch sits, taking cottonwood poles and pushing corpses of women and children downriver all summer. So again, these spaces we inhabit come with a longer history um, that includes uh, violence towards other people to ensure that uh, Anglo-American settlers had access to the land, had access to home ownership, to education, um, to marriage, um, and all other um, sort of systems that allowed for their advancement in the state. Um, so while my family's narrative often celebrates our immigrant heritage, uh, celebrates the triumph of uh, helping settle the state. It's a story that helps illuminate how many other um, groups did not um, experience um, the same opportunities, who had different barriers in terms of forced removal, in terms of restrictive laws, in terms of day-to-day -day discrimination. And I should also acknowledge, right, that simply because groups of people um, faced this discrimination just because um, they did not have the same benefits of, as my family. That did not mean they left the area, right? Um, or at least not all the time, that we still come from not only diverse histories, but a diverse state. Um, at one point before expulsion, a quarter of our state population was Chinese. Today, 20% of our state population is Latinx. So we need to um, find these stories, to embrace them, to understand how they make our region and our families stronger. Um, for instance, many uh, Japanese Americans resettled rural areas after um, their incarceration ended. Um, we can look at, at right over the border in Ontario, Oregon. Um, there is a very vibrant community of Japanese uh, American people. So 
To believe our state is made up of a single story, a single group, or follows a single path is simply a historical. It doesn't look at the facts. It doesn't look at the evidence. So as we look to our students, as we look at our friends and our peers, uh, I hope we're able to tell honest histories that yes, your Americans faced great hardships. They faced some bigotry. They faced um, hard um, landscapes, hard environments, um, but so did other groups of people and they faced additional social restraints as well. So that's what American history is. It's what the history of Idaho is. It's a collection of stories that illuminates the varied difficulties and triumphs of past generations in a way that helps explain our present and hopefully points to a brighter future. So thank you very much uh, for being here today. And um, I hope that you enjoyed this. Feel free to reach out uh, with any questions. My email address is rscofield at uidaho.edu. And I hope you have a wonderful day.